Well, worship is a very humbling opportunity that we, as God's children, have to be a part of. I'd like to share some thoughts on worship this morning. And oftentimes we forget who we're worshiping. So right now, let's take time, bow our heads, and make sure that our hearts are clean, are right before Him. Father, as the saints of old came before you humbly, we come before you in that same manner, boldly because we're this side of the cross, but Father, never forgetting the attitude of reverence and worship and humility that the Old Testament taught us. And Father, we, we don't want anything to happen in this worship hour that would come out of hearts that are not clean. Now, Father, may our hearts be confessed up and may we be open to what you have to teach us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd encourage you to take uh, that notepad that you have. We're going to fly today, and I'm going to give a lot of Scripture references. And in many cases, we won't take time to read them all. But you will have them for future reference if you desire. Worship, by way of definition, it is action and interaction between God and man. And it must be worthy action. That's why we take time to make sure that we are on holy ground, as it were. Worthship, the original meaning of the word suggests that our worship must be worthy of the God whom we praise. Revelation 4.11 reads, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will, they existed and were created. Worship is not something done to us or for us, but by us in reverence and homage. The early Christian church included six areas that they sensed were important aspects of biblically-based worship. Number one is preaching. Acts 20, verse 7, they went on until midnight. A second aspect of early Christian worship included prayer. Acts 12, 5. A third were the church ordinances. 1 Corinthians 11, 18-29. A fourth is the reading of Scripture. The reading of Scripture. Very difficult today together to do that. We have so many translations. 1 Thessalonians 5.27 The fifth aspect is giving of our substance. 1 Corinthians 16.1 and 2 And the sixth is singing. 
Colossians 3.16. To worship, William Temple says, is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. This morning I'd like to discuss what I see as um, some trends in worship, be they good, bad, or otherwise. And um, having been involved literally in worship for well into 40 years, there have been many experiences and opportunities that I've seen. The first trend in worship deals with preparation. Now, folks, I don't know. But I guess I ask myself the question, where has the preparation gone? Do we prepare for worship? Last Friday, um, I was speaking in the Introduction to Music and Art class, and, and I asked them this question, and we talked about worship, and I said, now, this Sunday, I want you to prepare for worship, and Monday, I will have you write out and see what the story is. So I selected just a few here. I won't read the names, but uh, these are some of the responses on how they prepared for worship. I went home this weekend and stayed up late Saturday night doing homework, and I didn't even make it to church on Sunday. Second one, I did not go to church on Sunday. Third one, well, I went to bed at 12.30. I did homework that whole day, and I woke up at 8.30 and did not have breakfast, so my stomach growled in church loud. Um, I walked in a little late for the service because I was playing foosball. Uh, another one. Uh, I, I watched the um, the Bo Holyfield fight. <laughs> Actually, I did nothing to prepare, my, to prepare myself for worship on Sunday. I know this had an incredible effect on my worship because I felt unprepared. I didn't prepare myself for Sunday worship. I felt that had an effect on my worshiping on Sunday. To prepare for worship, I got up earlier on Sunday morning to have my devotions and prayer time, something I've never done before. The effect it had on my worship was tremendous. Well, I ironed the night before so I wouldn't rush into the morning. On Sunday, I went to bed on time. I took time before church in the morning to prepare, to prepare my heart. I didn't allow myself to be hindered by distractions during church. To prepare for worship, I made sure to go to bed at a decent hour and to get a solid night's sleep. In addition to rising early enough on Sunday so as not to be rushed off to church. It really helped. 
Hebrews 10.22 says this, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean for an evil conscience and our bodies, from an evil conscience, I'm sorry, and our bodies washed with pure water. Certainly, verse 22 indicates the sincerity, the humility, and the purity that is necessarily Certainly not a little washing of the body, but daily confession and spiritual purging. I'll never forget the McNays when they were here um, uh, from Australia. Uh, he was visiting in my home, and he had just come from Australia that particular weekend. And he said, you know, you know, I got, this was a Monday that he was in my home. And, and uh, he said, you know, I, I got really scared Saturday night because... I thought, oh, I've been so busy, I don't have anything to bring to worship Sunday. And then he said, oh, I don't have to worry. We don't do that in America. Where's the accountability? What do we bring to worship? How do we prepare? I tell you what, Saturday night should be a little different to the Christian. It's not how early you have to get up Sunday morning. It's how early you go to bed Saturday night. Understand? Now think about it. Think about your worship this weekend and how are you going to prepare? I know there are challenges. I know there are distractions. I know there are things that come your way you cannot possibly deal with and be to bed at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. But you know as well as I, you can deal with anything that's important to you. Preparation. It takes time, folks. And so many times our churches, we're just happy they're there. Whether or not they're prepared. And young ladies and men, it will get difficult, much more difficult as you get older. And as you start... Raising a family and uh, the challenges that come, I'm telling you, it'll be difficult. One of the students was telling me every Sunday morning they met together as a family and prayed and prepared for worship. My question to her was, I said, did you like it? She said, no. I said, was it routine? She said, yes. Do you think it's important now? Yes. See, folks, wonderful, wonderful habits of that preparation for worship have begun in that individual's life. Preparation. What do you do? Do you take time? One of the things that we, we strive when, you, when we have a worship service, you know how the something is happening up front um, the piano or organ or somebody, to, to, to take time to meditate, to prepare. Glory. It's hard, isn't it? Really hard. Really hard. Never forget the fact that every day, every minute of your life is worship. Romans 12. And what we do on a Sunday to Sunday or whenever you worship is a continuation of what we should be doing as a matter of a lifestyle. Preparation. 
challenge. A second trend in worship today deals with direction. Psalm 99.5 reads, He is thy Lord, worship thou Him. 45.11 reads, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at His footstool, for He is holy. Now today we are in a video age. And uh, I took a poll here at our college a couple of years ago, and... Um, I found out that the average television set of the people in that class was on about 30 hours a week. Okay? Now, that's roughly four hours a day. Now, Neil Postman, who wrote the book Amusing Ourselves to Death, Neil Postman is professor of communication arts and sciences at New York University, not, not a Christian at all, not at all. He writes this, he says, American television is devoted entirely to supplying its audience with entertainment. It is largely aimed at emotional gratification. The problem is not that TV is entertaining, but that it has made entertainment itself the natural format for the representation of all experience. All subject matter is presented as entertaining. He goes on and says, I believe I am not mistaken in saying that Christianity is a demanding and serious religion. When it is delivered as easy and amusing, it is another kind of religion altogether. On TV, God is a vague and subordinate character, though His name is invoked repeatedly. The concreteness and persistence of the image of the preacher carries the clear message that it is he, not he, who must be worshipped. The power of a close-up televised face in color makes idolatry a continual hazard. What he's saying, folks, is very, very true. We're just products of our culture. Our culture has made us an entertainment-grabbing kind of society. And you know, our culture works hard all week so they can play on the weekend. So, Plue, what are you talking about? I'm saying that our congregations come from this culture and they want to be entertained more than edified. Direction's different. The direction from the upfronters oftentimes is more horizontal than vertical. Folks, Psalm 45, 11. He is thy Lord. Worship Him! Now, I have a, a lecture that I, I call the death of the congregation. You see, a congregation is active. They're involved. An audience is passive. 
A television puts us in an audience. It doesn't want anything from us. It just wants us to sit there. You know, you ever, you ever, <laughs> this is funny. Um, um, our backyard, uh, when you come around the backyard and you, and you see the, the windows in the family room, you, 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 you can see everybody sitting there and you see the television in this area and so forth. And when I'm back there, sometimes I'll be back there working and I'll see my, my kids or my family. Or any of us would be the same way. You ever see, see people sit there? I mean, hours. Hours. Just sit there. Passive. Do nothing but sit there. Folks, I'm telling you, that has an effect on our congregations. Our congregations have become audiences. This is the key. Just because you walk through church house doors doesn't automatically put your mind into a congregation active giving attitude. They're the kind of challenges we have in worship today. How can we actively make sure that our congregations are connected and they're not just an audience? Never use the word audience in church. Who is in the audience? God is the only one that has the privilege and the credentials, if you please, to be in the audience. And everything we do is done for His glory. He is why we're here. He is why we're together. You know, if you come to my house and you talk to my kids, talk to my wife, you say hello to Baron, our dog, you, know, you go out into the backyard, you look around, see the fireplace, kind of eat a little food, and then leave. And you never talk to the master of the house. I'd be a little slighted. I'd be a little, feel a little left out. But ladies and gentlemen, we do that every Sunday. People come to church. They enjoy the singing. They enjoy being with each other. They do all kinds of things, but I wonder how many leave and they never really talked to the Creator. Did you talk to Him today? When, when, when we were coming in, did you talk to God as much as you talked to each other? Let's just go for a balance. Let's just say, okay, if we have ten minutes, let's five minutes we talk to God and five minutes we talk to each other. Let's just kind of Think that. Think in those terms. He's why we're here. Direction, folks. Boy, it's it's scary. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a participant. A third trend. Talked a lot about this Wednesday. How much in love are we with the Lord to really want to meet Him? the love factor. I took you to John 21. And I'll just say verse 15. The Lord said, Hey, Peter, lovest thou me more than, than these? God say, Lovest thou him more than all of the distractions and the artificial? 
And I guess it all comes down to where our heart is. Let me say it again. It all comes down to where our heart is. Where's your heart? A fourth aspect. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Matthew 26.40-41 So you men could not keep watch with me one hour, the Lord said. Well, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are encouraged to pray a lot at this institution. But let's think about what we're talking about here. We're talking about our church. We're talking about our congregations. We're talking about our culture here. I don't know about you. I grew up and any time the church house door was open, I was there. I was one of those kinds of people. And come Wednesday night, there was prayer service. Now, what I'm saying is 75% of the church never came. And so now, this was back in the, in the 50s. So what has happened as we go into the 70s and 80s and 90s? Hey, let's just be wise, folks. <laughs> if people aren't going to come, let's cancel it. Uh, most churches don't have those kinds of services. And some for valid reasons. You know, there's a lot of hypocrisy and so forth going on in public prayer. But I'm saying, why do we cancel it? If we don't come and pray together in a public vein, I mean, I'm not real smart, but I know, well, must be it's not happening in the private vein either. I tell you, when I was in college, I went to a Christian college and we had prayer closets. They were never used. No, they were never used. And now they're used as storage. C.H. Spurgeon asked this question. He said, Why is it that some people are often in a place of worship and yet they're not holy? Why is that? It is because they neglect their prayer closets. Worship without prayer is like daytime without light, like a school without students, like a choir without music. The praying saint cannot keep from worshiping. The prayerless saint cannot rise to worship. Prayer. Wow. Very important. We lack it in our culture today. It's a trend. It's a trend that tears away at worship. A fifth aspect of a trend in worship today is what I call the subjective versus the objective, and I have alluded to it today, but just to define terms, subjective, we're talking about the subject, that's us. Objective, we're talking about the object, that's God. Think of, just do a little evaluation. What happens in the worship services? More subjective or objective? Subjective, a little more experiential, testimony, emotions, horizontal, objective, God's attributes, 
who He is, not what we think He is, more vertical in nature. Psalm 95, 6 says, Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Now, I really believe we need both. I believe we need times in church where we share our joy and how the Lord has delivered us. And what the Lord is doing, we need that. Now, let me tell you another thing that's happening. We used to have what was called the evening service. And uh, that's going by the wayside. Going by the wayside. Churches that have an evening service, uh, I would say probably anywhere from 25 to 50% of the congregation would come and upwards to 75% would not. So people love experiential worship. So... Basically, what we've done, we've put that into more of the one worship service that everyone comes to. You understand? And so, here again, many times our churches are tempted to forget the object. Challenge. It's a challenge. Let's not forget. Remember, he's in the audience. A sixth factor that is really a challenge in trends of worship today is time. You heard the song from Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Let me say something about worship. (laughs) You can't make it happen. If you make worship happen the tendency that it's artificial is very high. There's, a, there's an Indian church in the general area. Their worship is anywhere between three and four hours long. Now, we're, we're all on time constraints here. Worship, basically, uh, everything has to happen between 60 and 75 minutes. And oftentimes the pastor will say, hey, I don't care what you do before the service, but I need 45, 50 minutes. It's true. It's true. And, and frankly, we're going to have five or ten minutes of announcements here. You, know. you ever think about it? How much time do we really give just to genuine spirit-led worship? Our culture hates silence. If you watch your television and it, you'll never see a picture focused on one particular, without moving on one particular area for no more than about three and a half seconds. If your radio is silent for three seconds, we'll switch it. Okay? When I call my parents, they live in Florida, it takes me about 10 or 15 minutes to get through all the stuff before I really can get into communication with them. You know, Aunt Edna, she's got a broken hip, and, and yeah, it's been a little cool here, you know. And, and uh, then first thing you know, you start talking about the things that count. I think that has some semblance in worship. 
Um, hey, you talk to any musician, we can crank it out. I mean, I can, we can make you cry. We can make you laugh. We can make you dance in the aisle. We can make you come forward. We can make you raise your hands. We can do all those kinds of things to manipulate you into some kind of euphoristic action. A lot of power in music. That's why Plato said, three centuries before Christ was born, you let me write the music. I don't care who makes the laws of the land. A lot of power. But see, we do, want not, we do not want to be manipulative. It takes time. How are we going to deal with that? How can we deal with that? It's a problem of our culture. It's a trend. What are we going to do with that? Especially if you have to have three worship services in that time to get all the people in. Jealous. Taking away from our worship. We have to allow it to happen. And, and folks, the more we do not prepare for worship, the harder it becomes. Seventh aspect, training. I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but the Levitical tribe of the Old Testament, they were trained. You know, they, they, you know, in, in, um, read this. Just drop this down. Exodus 32, Numbers 3, Numbers 8, 1 Chronicles 23. Uh, you will read that, um, that, uh, the Levites, who were those in charge of religious services, I mean, they could assist when they were 20 years old, but they really were not in charge until they were 30. I mean, they were disciples. They were trained. They took time to train. A lot of responsibilities. I did a survey of you students, about 150 students, and those who lead worship in your churches, um, four and a half, four and a half percent of any kind of training in church worship and leadership. Four percent. Martin Luther said, if a man is going into the gospel ministry, he should not only be trained in theology, he should also be trained in music. There's only a couple of seminaries in this country that even have classes that are required in worship. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And another challenge is a lot of musicians know a lot about music, but they don't have any training in theology. Just like a lot of pastors may have a lot of training in theology, don't have a lot of training in music. And frankly, I know how it is. If I don't know the language of something, if I, if I go to Germany and I don't speak German, I'm lost. Frankly, if I was a pastor of a church, and I didn't know the language of music, and I was depending on somebody else from another world, as it were, to do everything, and I realized how important it is in Scripture, I think I'd learn something about it. I don't want to live my life in Germany and not know the language. It's like, I don't want to be depending on somebody else all the time to lead the worship. Pretty important. Very important. One of the reasons why we are in this consumer-oriented period musically is because of a lack of training 
The musician listens to what the people want and he gives them what they want. Possibly because he has no biblically based theology of worship. What's your theology of worship? We give the people what they want musically. Does your pastor do that in the pulpit theologically? Does he just give them what they want? Or does he give them what he senses through the ministry of the Holy Spirit they need? That's the same in worship. Exactly the same. We have needs that must be met. It's not entertainment, folks. It's not entertainment. An eighth aspect, hearing right along, is is the Lord's Day. Jot these verses down. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Hebrews 4, 1 to 10. I'm not going to say a lot about the Lord's Day, but I will say this, the progress of Revelation certainly indicates that what was good for those in the Old Testament we're to build on in the New Testament. Nowhere did we ever read in the New Testament that we do away with what we learned in the Old Testament. We're building on that. And I know, I'm not trying to make you keep the Sabbath, but I think there's something very special about the Lord's Day. My mom, she was visiting out here a year or so ago, and my mom and dad. And, and, you know, in the afternoon, I never noticed this growing up. In the afternoon, she just never changed her clothes. She just kept her Sunday clothes on. I said, Mom, why don't you change your clothes and relax? She said, well, Paul, I knew this was going to be good. She said, well, you know, this is the Lord's Day, and I guess the least I can do is stay dressed up for Him. See, it all comes down to where your heart is. You see, it's certainly nothing that's legalized to you or dictated to you or you have to do it this way. It's, all, it's just where your heart is. I don't know. I don't know. But when I come out of a phenomenal worship event that I was just with the king, I just, I just could, could boldly, because we're this side of the cross, but yet bearing in mind what the Old Testament indicates with reverence and humility and falling on my face, I've been before God. I've been with God with a whole host of my friends. We got to worship together. It's 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 incredible experience. My, oh my, oh my. Our culture oftentimes says, hey, let's go to the early service so we can get out and go over to uh, IHOP and have um, uh, breakfast and then go to the beach. That's what our, that's a trend of our culture. That's what our culture, that's what we're striving with, with as, as future pastors and, and Christian leaders. All comes down to where your heart is. All comes down. A ninth thing, ninth trend, the hymnal. Interesting. Interesting. The hymnal. The Hebrew hymnal was the Psalms. Oh, glory. What a what a book. I had one of the profs that is in front of you every day, every day, say to me recently, he said, you know, I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have the Psalms. I've read it through about five times in the last year and a half. Been tough year and a half. But you know, the Psalms helped me. <laughs> Chuck Swindoll says, as a minister, I love to preach. I would be at a loss in the pulpit without my Bible. Nothing could or should replace the Scriptures in the church of Jesus Christ. 
The hymnal does not do that, of course. The Bible is essential for the sowing of the seed. But over the years, I have come to realize that nothing can or will prepare the soil of the heart like the hymns and the songs of faith. True worship, therefore, calls for companion volumes, a Bible and a hymnal. In our church where I minister, we have a hymnal. We also have slides and overheads, and we have the whole variety of tools that would assist in leading people with worship. But I tell you something, those people don't take those slides home. I believe that hymnal has to be in the par a part of the life of the church. When you study your Bible, you should have a hymnal there. I'm not saying you have to break out into song. But I'm saying, wow, I tell you, there's times that those hymn writers put words together in a way that will meet your heart's need that you could never put together. Howie Stevenson. Remember Howie and Chuck Swindoll were here last fall. Howie says this. <laughs> he says, if you don't love to sing, then why in the world would you ever want to go to heaven? Interesting. And a last, last, last trend, and that's the church house. The church house is changing. It's, it is changing. Uh, in this valley, I don't, and maybe I'm wrong, but in this valley, I don't think there's any fundamental evangelical kind of church that has what's called the typical church sanctuary. I don't think there are all these multi-purpose rooms or whatever, and that's, and, and that's the way it is because of the economy. We have to have a place where we can have a fellowship supper and have a wana and have basketball games and have hockey and then we'll worship God for an hour and then we eat again. You understand? And, and, and somehow or other, I guess I asked the question, how important is God? We were on tour three years ago, the fall, the summer of 1990 with the Corral, walked into this incredible facility. Incredible facility! I'm telling you... Um, we walked in, and there was this gigantic gymnasium with running court and handball courts and weight room, and off to over here was a 150-seat um, theater, and over on this side was a big fireplace area, and over here were four Brunswick bowling alleys, and it was an incredible place. Boy, the corral went bananas. It was, in, it was something. Well, we talked, and, and I finally said to the pastor, I said, hey, uh, well, we've got to do a concert here. Um, where's the sanctuary? Well... We don't have one. You know, you know what I thought? I thought, well, now maybe they have a trend. Maybe, and they were going to build one. And they were raising funds for one. But I thought, wow, I guess that certainly wasn't first in that church leadership. Church is built, changed. And folks, when you raise your children, uh, in the survey that we did here, um, 73% of you came out of churches that are typical church sanctuary places. But that's changing. There's something that your children will learn about worship when every time they see the pastor or they see the choir or they see whatever's happening up front, some, uh, they, they see a, a basketball net hanging over their head. You know what I mean? There's something that comes along there. Church house is changing. Trend in worship. Challenge. Real challenge. Well, I hope that this has been helpful. Ah, there's so many pitfalls. Of course, our own pride, our lack of knowledge, our critical spirit, our laziness, our emotionalism, our unforgiving spirit, our worldly influence, our impatience, our self-will, 
All of that hinders worship. But I'd like to close with this quote from our president. From his book, The Ultimate Priority, Worship. You ought to read it. He says this, There is only one hindrance to worshiping in spirit, and that is self. It can come in all kinds of packages, but the result is the same. When we set ourselves in front of God, we cannot worship Him properly. We can blame it on a lack of time or too many distractions, but we find the time to do the projects and activities we really generally want to do. The real problem with the one who uses those excuses is that he is too selfish, too lazy and too self-indulgent to align his priorities properly. To pretend a homage to God and intend only the advantage of self is rather to mock Him than worship Him. When we believe that we ought to be satisfied rather than God glorified, we set God below ourselves. Imagine that He should submit His own honor to our advantage. We make ourselves more glorious than God. That's the hindrance to worshiping. To set oneself, one's needs, one's advantages above God. Let's pray. Father, take these few mumbling words and pierce our hearts with them, we ask, Father. And this weekend, might we genuinely prepare for worship. Might we enter into it wholeheartedly and sing forth Your praises victoriously. Might we not come as a spectator, but might we come, Father, as a participant and the greatest opportunity of the Christian. And it's you we want to leave talking about today, Father. And it's you we lift up in praise. In Christ's name. Amen. Now, folks, let's not talk to each other as much as we talk to God. Now, let's think about that. Thank you, folks.